it's great to be back together. I, um, I was like, I was, uh, so we were doing Compassion Weekend last weekend, so we didn't have church. The weekend before that, my wife and I were in Alaska, and, you know, why would we go to Alaska? But we have a son and daughter-in-law there, and we got a chance to meet our grand, grandson, Ransom, named Ransom. My son is a big fan of the C.S. Lewis uh, space trilogy, so Ransom comes from that. Um, I also got a special benefit. We got to see the Northern Lights, which was very cool. I know. Never done that. It was... I don't have a bucket list, honestly. It was on my sister's bucket list, so I just put it on mine. I'm like, well, I got that. Um, but, you know, if you were, uh, realized we didn't meet together last week, it's because many of us were out serving in the community in some form. We were doing a lot of different things. There were people working at Buena Vista, as you saw from the different slides. There were people making cards. There were people making gift bags. We had folks that were helping out with Hope Horizon, again, one of the community partners that we're a part of and we, we're uh, involved with. We had folks that were working with Reach Potential, and as you saw, there was a thing called Dia de los Niños, where we handed out a bunch of, get, uh, a bunch of uh, shoes and things to people. There were just a lot of different things that were going on, and even some folks just gathered together and prayed for the staff of the community partners. So a lot of people were doing a lot of different things. And the question that I think is reasonable to ask is, why do we do this? Why do we do stuff like that? Why do we not have church and go do these kinds of things? Is it because we're good people and doing those good things makes us better people? Not really. Um, do we do it because we're the ones that have the answers to all the problems in the world, so we just got to get out there and fix those problems? No, that's not really it. It's because caring for those who are less advantaged than us is especially close to God's heart. That is what God wants us to do as his people. You know, over the last number of weeks, we've been looking at the passage in Isaiah 58. If you've been here over the last number of weeks, we were looking at Isaiah 58. And God was telling his people at that time that doing a bunch of religious stuff, like coming to Sunday service or tithing or, you know, reading your Bible and all that, which is really good stuff. In the case of the Israelites, they were even doing things like fasting and praying and celebrating religious holidays. But God was like, that means nothing to me if you're not doing, taking concrete action and doing concrete things to help and love and care for the poor and the marginalized and those who are oppressed or imprisoned in, in, in the community around you. In fact, in Isaiah 58, God's really even more clear. He's actually even like, your apparent religious to devotion to God is actually offensive to him if it doesn't express itself in some concrete way with the community around you and, and the needs around you, especially those who need our help the most. And I'll remind us of this, and when we look at Isaiah, we saw uh, Isaiah speaking, and these are the words of God to his people in Isaiah 58, 6 through 7. And this is God's voice saying, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Am I, am I reverberating? Is it, are we okay? A little bit? All right. We got Wes on it, so we'll get it figured out. But I think God's message here is really clear. As followers of God, as people who follow him, as people who are followers of Jesus, the ones who follow the, the great and loving and just God of the universe, we have to express our love and his love through us in tangible ways in the community around us. Now, how do we do that? Well, if you're here, you heard Gary Stokes talk a number of weeks ago about ways we can do it, sort of small ways we can do it. Like, how do we even care for those who, in many ways, are serving us around us? 
And so those would be servants in our lives. Like maybe the person who's serving you coffee. You go to coffee all the time. Are you able to look at that person as a person who is a person to be loved by God? Or maybe somebody is someone who cleans your house or does something like that. And do you love them? And are you caring for them? And are you being just with them in the way that you're handling the, uh, your relationship with them? Maybe it's someone who rings up your groceries. And again, just seeing us looking at people and noticing them and being able to care for them. And Gary's point was kind of just little seeds of love are the things that we can do, and God will grow those little seeds. And Pastor Mike was even more simple. He said, we can't do everything, but we can't do nothing. And I remember that very clearly. And so I think a lot of us took that time in this last weekend to go out and do something. It wasn't the things that were going to solve all the issues in the world, but we did something, and in some way, the things we did might have been a little piece of untying that part of injustice, a little piece of like helping to give to someone who needed something that they didn't have. And I do want to invite up, actually, Lupita Sanchez. So Lupita was serving with uh, Dia de los Niños. And Lupita, I wanted to have uh, share a little bit about what that experience was like for her. So welcome up, Lupita. You bet. Here's this. Thank you. You bet. Hello, everyone. Full disclosure, I have the permission from my two teen daughters and my husband over there in the camera to say this intimate thing from our heart, okay? So, good morning. Today I'm here to share, like Pastor Ron said, what we did in Dia de los Niños for Reach Potential. My story begins the night before the event. I received Julie's email, and I saw the roster of volunteers, and I said, uh-oh. We need more hands here. We were expecting 1,000 people in the event. So my fingers got working and I started texting my friends. Remember, this was 10 p.m. But midnight, I had four volunteers committed. They didn't even ask what were they gonna do. They just came in. They said where and when, and they showed up. I'm very blessed to have them. The morning, here goes the intimate part. The morning of the event was challenging. Carolina, my 15-year-old, had um, an AP test on Monday. Government. All right? <laughs> she needs good grades for college. She's in 10th grade. So Carl and I were pondering, should she stay home? But the Holy Spirit in our heart, I told her no. The value of, on our house is to teach them to do service. So I said, let's go. We don't have the test results yet, so I don't know if I made the right decision, okay? So we were running late, okay? I would, let's go, let's go. The tempers were high. I was pulling out, Carl was driving. He was pulling out of our driveway and a car passes by. I see it and I go, stop! And he goes, Rrr! You know how that goes, right? Isabella, my 12-year-old, was annoying, okay? She put her headphones on and tuned us out. I paint this picture to you to let you know the reality of that morning. We were out of sync. I was not my proudest moment as a mom. Okay, finally, we get to the event. I met with Elaine. Elaine, where are you? Are you here? Hi, Elaine. 
We had hundreds of names on the list, right, Elaine? And we had eight lists, guys, eight lists. They were, our instructions were very clear. If the child's name is not on the list, we cannot pass them to receive the shoes, okay? We were the gatekeepers kind of thing. This was an invitation-only event sponsored by Souls for Souls. Get it? Souls, the shoes for the souls. And the shoes were cool and trendy, weren't they, right? So Elaine, her daughter, and I were outside in registration. Inside, my family, Elaine's family, and more vineyard volunteers. Who was in that event? Can you raise your hand? Thank you, you can testify to this. That's coming up. The operation worked like this. First, they measured their feet and sat them in with a fitter. Were you a fitter? No, a runner? All right. Who were fitters? Yeah? Thank you, you were like Nordstrom style shoe running it. Yes, yes. Okay, and there were runners. Who were runners? Okay, these guys got 10,000 steps or maybe yeah. 20,000 because they were going back and forth, back and forth if the kids didn't like that style. Okay, as we open up, we quickly realize, right, Elaine? The locating the children on the list was taking longer than expected. And the operation needed more volunteers inside. Our lines were getting long. We had hundreds of people, guys. Just then, Mr. Alex Van Rissen comes trying, strolling along and checking things out. I lock eyes with him. And I don't remember if you remember what I told you, but I think I told you, we need you. Bring more people, please. <laughs> and kindly, he did. Sorry, Pastor Susan. I know he was helping you at the station with the cute bunnies. We were able to register around 350 children in the span of two hours and a half, no breaks. Elaine was there for one shift, we stayed for the whole thing, right? No breaks. Some of the children came out with big smiles and jumping with their new shoes. I don't know all their backstories, but I know some of them were on house. Some of them were referred by police officers and sheriffs because of special situations. We did not want to turn anyone away, but we did. At the end of the event, we were hungry. Yeah, yeah, we were hungry. We ate tamales, jicama, pepino con chile, and agua fresca. And at that time in that table, I turned around and observed my family. <laughs> Harmony was back. We were experiencing a collective satisfaction of being useful to others. It was kind of being high on service. <laughs> God asked me to be bold and to ask for help, and people responded to the call. It was beautiful to witness the power of one volunteer, plus one volunteer, plus one volunteer, plus one volunteer, plus one volunteer. It turned, it equal an unstoppable force for good. I heard this quote and it stuck with me. You can pretend to care, but you cannot pretend to show up. And I'm happy to testify, church, that we, Palo Alto being your church, showed up last Sunday. Thank you.
Thank you, Lupita, for sharing that with us. I always have to love that whole. Um, I just feel like that was really a great message about how we think that oftentimes we sort of think, oh, we're going to do these amazing things. We're broken people. We're doing what we can. But God uses that. God really uses that. And thank you for sharing that and being open and honest about that, about just the ways. And, and in many ways, serving is also how God teaches us. And we have to give to be able to learn as we give to others. You know, my own involvement in the Compassion Week involved uh, Sunday morning joining a seminar that was given by the Bymasters, Brett and Angela Bymaster, who uh, are part of an organization called Healing Grove. How many of you were able to go to that? I think we had about 25 or so people that were able to join that. And Healing Grove is a ministry partner of our church. Um, it was started really only about three years ago, and they started cl medical clinics. And there's one clinic that they started in San Jose. The other ones are in Sacramento. And uh, Angela is actually a doctor. Brett is a, is a pastor. And they uh, shared a lot about pretty sobering statistics in many ways about what's going on in the Bay Area, especially, related to what they call the iPal. Now, this is kind of interesting. They sort of say God was the first one that came up with that marketing terminology, iPal. This was a slide they show. But this says, from their view, this is what scripturally God is saying the people that we need to care for are the immigrants, the poor, the orphans, and the widows. There are many, many different scriptures where God shows that and highlights that. And this is what uh, the Bymasters are trying to do, is try to address this issue around uh, all the different issues that go along with this. Um, and, you know, they did show us some sobering data. There's, a, there's a, a bit of data here related to poverty in the Silicon Valley that I won't go through all the details, but they showed, like, numbers here of, of both homeless that are housed and also in shelters, total who are living in poverty and children in poverty. So there's these you know, big numbers that we see sometimes as we look at these issues around us. And what I really appreciate about the Bymasters is they're sharing this information and they're sharing this data with us is that they know they can't solve all the issues. They know there's a lot of different issues and they can't solve them all, but they're trying to do something. They're trying to do something with some of these issues the best they can with the strength and the gifts that God's given them, right? Gifts and strength and wisdom. I mean, Angela's a doctor, right? And so they're using that. But the Biomaster shared a statistic that really struck me when they were talking about this. And one statistic that struck me, and this is coming from the CDC and the World Health Council, is that they said, and they're doing a medical clinic, right? But they're saying only 15% of overall health can be addressed through medicine. That only 15% of overall health. The other 85% is related to environment and it's education, it's community, it's economics, it's even genetics. This is a sort of a, uh, actually a CDC view that says, you know, access to healthcare is one piece of it, but there's so many other things that go into the, these issues that are going on in people's lives. <clears throat> they knew that they started a medical clinic, but that wasn't enough. And so what I really am impressed by with what the Biomasters are trying to do is that they're not just addressing the specific one issue, they're trying to address issues holistically. So they're dealing with things on a medical level, but they're not just doing it on the medical and the physical, but they're also addressing issues spiritually and emotionally. On their staff, they have pastors, they have counselors, they have trained prayers who pray for people. In fact, one of the things he said about our church, he's like, I love your church because you guys pray. You come and pray for our people. They do education, they host youth groups. So I think the lesson that really struck me is that we have to approach any issues and any actions around compassion and justice holistically. Holistically, just as our Savior Jesus did. You know, we can't go to someone who's unhoused or in need of food and say, you know, let me pray for you. Good luck with the rest of your needs. Right? That doesn't give a good ministry. The Apostle James highlights this in his letter in James 2, 15 through 17. 
where he says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. That is true. We can't just say, well, good luck with that. You know, we'll pray for you. We have to take action, especially when it comes to physical needs. But the reverse is also true. We can't just solve physical needs and help people with food and housing and even justice and not care about their spiritual needs as well and not care about what's going on with them and their relationship with the Seder who loves them. And how do they get to know that? I mean, folks, many of us, I think, are fairly well to do. We're doing okay. And we realize that having all the clothes and the food we need doesn't give us joy and peace. It doesn't. It doesn't fix all of our problems. There are lots of other issues, and the eternal relationship with God is so important as part of that. You know, as I think about Jesus and the woman of the well, I think about Jesus met the woman at the well, and I don't know her, you know, I don't know her background, but what we know from the story is it's unlikely she was rich, and we know she was marginalized. She was someone who was ostracized from the community. That's why she was going when she did. And Jesus broke through her social ostracism by talking to her and having a conversation, which wasn't the, the thing to do at that time. But he didn't end it there. He didn't just break that chain, but he also offered himself to her as the living water. He spoke to her about her spiritual need as well. So as we talk about making a difference in people's lives, and we talk about trying to do justice and compassion, and we realize we have to do something, and then also what I learned from the Bymasters, we, we really need to address it holistically, but I think it raises some questions. It does for me. Questions like, how much can we really do? And when there's so many issues around us, can we really make an impact? I mean, let's be real here, folks. There are a lot of complex, massive issues going on. I mean, as we talk, and I listen to the Bymasters, I mean, there's issues around immigration policies and immigration impact. There's mental health crisis. There's an epidemic, uh, a drug epidemic that's going on. There's endemic homelessness that's happening. There are racial justice issues that continue to go on. We just saw yesterday there's gun violence happening. There are a lot of things going on. There's the breakdown of family connections that are really causing lots more people to be living in poverty and vulnerability. And then on top of that, we have Christians who don't even agree of how we're supposed to address it right? I don't know. I confess to you, and I'm assuming many of you may have the same feeling. Sometimes it feels like it's so overwhelming just to handle our own lives, the complexity of, especially if you've got kids or whatever, you're dealing with all this complexity. And then, and this, I think Lupita ran into this. Oh my gosh, I got this life I got to live. I got school and stuff, right? And then you kind of add these issues around poverty and injustice. And it's like, I think I just got to stay on the sidelines. I don't know if I can do anything. And maybe it's tempting to say, well, it'll be the next presidential candidate that'll solve this for us. Or it'll be maybe the next congressperson that can fix this. Folks, that is not where our answer is going to come from. As people of Jesus, our hope does not line up in the political realm or even in our own intelligence and strength to solve these issues. And that's why I think it's really good that as we've been doing this series called Loosen the Chains, right, and how do we involve ourselves in the issues of compassion and justice, we are also now entering a series that the rest of the vineyard is doing together as we head to Pentecost that's called Empowered. It's called Empowered. I'm going to show you the graphic that's being used here. This graphic is the graphic that is uh, what we're doing is the sermon series, and it's really a series about it, talking about the experience and the power of the Holy Spirit. If you look at this image here, there's an image of a dove. And this comes from the story of Jesus' baptism. 
And that way we find in the chapter of Luke 3, verses 21 through 23. And we hear this and we see what happened here. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him bodily, in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. So I think this is what's really interesting and significant about this story. Jesus didn't do anything of ministry significance before this time until he received the affirming love of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that showed itself up in this way physically as the Holy Spirit showed up. For the rest of his life, everything that Jesus did as a human being on earth was founded in those things, the love of his Father and through the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we see this true. Luke continues on in this story right after this, uh, this passage, and he says in 4.1, he says, Jesus, and now we notice these parentheses, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And Luke continues to show this reality about Jesus now, right? Continuing on in verses 14 through 20, we see Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I think all of these points are really clear in what we're seeing. The ministry that God called Jesus to began and was empowered by the Holy Spirit. It began and was empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's through the Spirit, as we see, that Jesus did the things he did. He preached good news to the poor. He proclaimed freedom for the prisoners. He brought sight to the blind. He healed the lame. He set the oppressed free. Were those issues still issues when Jesus was 21 and 23 and 25? They were. But Jesus didn't engage any of that until God filled him with the Holy Spirit to go do the work that he did. And so what I want to say is, I think, as we've been talking about compassion and justice, what I think we also need to realize is compassion and justice also needs to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. It needs to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> you know, let me explain something here for the moment. You know, we're a vineyard church. We've been a vineyard church from the beginning. As part of vineyard, we believe in what's called biblical orthodoxy, which is really kind of what we'd say is a long-proven view of biblical theology. <clears throat> That theology actually comes from thousands of years of smarter people than me figuring out scripture and deciding what that's all about. And the idea there is that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force or an idea, but the Holy Spirit is a person, or more correctly, a personality or a being, part of what we call the Trinity. You know, the Trinity means that God actually has three different forms. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's all God, all together in one, but three forms. And I say this because as Christians, we don't always get clarity on the Holy Spirit, I think, at times, right? There may be times where it's confusing. For many of us, we may have learned pretty much about God the Father, maybe God the Son, but the Holy Spirit can be a little fuzzy. Um, 
You know, there was a recent Barna study where they did a study not that long ago, and it said 62% of Christians in the U.S. no longer believe that the Holy Spirit is a real being. They see the Holy Spirit simply as a symbol of God's power and presence. So almost two-thirds of Christians in the U.S. believe the Holy Spirit is not really a real being, but a, just a symbol. Why does that matter? Okay, well, okay, it's a neat symbol. No, why does that matter? Because if we really want to know and fully experience who God is, it's really good for us to know all of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus himself makes sure that we know, and he talks about the Holy Spirit not as a symbol or as an impersonal power. He talks about it in a very personal way in John 16, 12 through 15. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. There's a definite sense that Jesus knows the Holy Spirit as a person, as a, as a personality. And so at the vineyard, we believe in the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. The person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's really important that as we think about any ministry that we do, any kind of act that we take, and any kind of way that we engage with our community, you know, it's not enough to know about God's holiness from a mental concept and know about salvation from sort of experiential, but we need to go in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is one that works in and through us to do the work that he wants to do. You know, hopefully you know this, but the mission of our church says to empower people from all backgrounds to have intimacy with God and influence for his kingdom. If you didn't know that, there you go. Newcomers class will probably show you that as well, but now you got, it, you got a little heads up. So the definition of empower, what is empower? What does it mean to be empowered? Well, I go to the, you know, the found of all knowledge, Merriam-Webster, right? That's where we go. Empower means the granting of the power, right, of power, right, or authority to perform various acts or duties. So what does it mean that we say when we talk about our mission to empower people? Does that mean that Susan, Mike, and I as pastors empower you to go do things? No. We encourage you. We challenge you. We may teach, but we're not the ones that empower you. No, the mission that we do starts with the foundation of being empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the things that he's called us to do. You guys remember this. Jesus was God, but he was also fully man. We have to remember that that's the tension we hold. He's God, but he's fully man. We said, well, that was Jesus. He did what he did. But he was also fully man, and because of his humanity, he did the works he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. It was in his humanity that Jesus was able to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to live a sinless life, to do the miracles that he did, to raise the dead. So can we be any different or better than Jesus? You know, right before Jesus left the earth to go back to heaven, he gave his direction to his disciples, and he said this in Luke 24. He said, this is what, was, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power on high. You know, I think it's interesting. There were lots of needs that were going on at that moment, but Jesus said, don't do a thing until you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Don't go anywhere and do anything. And when that happened, the world was changed. 
It's not like the disciples were like, oh, you know, I'm going away, so you guys should organize yourselves and think strategically about how you're going to take your city, Jerusalem, for me. He's like, sit around and wait till the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then what we saw happening from that point on was true justice and compassion was going on. The church was empowered and justice and compassion was happening. True justice and compassion was happening through the Holy Spirit. So our lesson, I think, is this. For the people of God to serve as we're called to do, we must have lives that are surrendered to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. To be surrendered to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You know, the series that we're going to go through is talking about the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want to make clear about. If you have chosen to follow Jesus and given your life to him, you have been given the Holy Spirit. We believe that that is true, that the Holy Spirit resides inside of you. But the Holy Spirit is not given to us as an internal comfort blanket. Not to just kind of warm ourselves with and be like, oh, I feel really good. I mean, that's a piece of it, but that's not why the Holy Spirit's been given to us. The Holy Spirit that's been given to us is a person. He is God. He is God. And as God, he is able to do more than we can imagine or think. You know, in the Narnia book, uh, many of you maybe read that, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. C.S. Lewis, one of the children, is asking about Aslan, who is the God figure in the, in the story, and saying, you know, is he safe? And one of the characters says, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, he, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. The purpose of God through his Holy Spirit is so that he can reveal himself to those around us, to reveal his truth and his presence to the world around us. And that isn't always safe, and it's not always clean, and it can be messy, but it's always good. It's always good. When we go out into the community around us, we can't go expecting we're going to do this by ourselves, and we can't go sort of saying, well, Holy Spirit, thanks, you're with me as my comfort blanket, I'm going to kind of put you in the back seat, and I'm going to go do this on my own effort. No, the Holy Spirit must go with us, and we must rely on the Holy Spirit to do the work that we can't do ourselves. We, can't, we don't want to forget him, we don't want to minimize him, we don't want to cover him over. We must let God be God through his spirit in us. And folks, what that means is it's adventure. There's an adventure in that. Because God is not always going to do things the way I want. I like control. That's hard. Sometimes God decides he wants to do things that I'm not really thrilled about, and yet I realize it's what he wants to do. You know, as a church, we talk a lot about come Holy Spirit. Why do we do that? I mean, we say, scripturally, this Holy Spirit is here. We know that's true. When two or three gather, his, his, his spirit is here. Why do we say, come Holy Spirit? I kind of, that actually bugged me for a while. But it, think about this, and I think of it this way. You can invite someone into your home, and they'll be in your home, but it's another thing to go and say, now, now that you're in my house, you have the freedom to rearrange this room. Or you can tell me what I should be serving for food, because I had this plan, but maybe you have a different plan. There is a difference of someone being invited to your home and then being able to say, you know, what do you want to do here? I got this thing going on, but maybe you have a different plan. I think a lot of what the come Holy Spirit is a statement of submission. Come Holy Spirit, do what you want to do. You are the person of God. It's your plan. You do your thing. So God wants to empower us, but he also wants us to be willing to be empowered. The question I have for us today as we, as we uh, close here is, who is in control of you? Is it you or is it God through his Holy Spirit? And folks, that's a real question. It's a question I have in my own life. I, like I told you, I like to have things organized and figured out. But are you willing to ask the Holy Spirit to have a bigger place in your life? Even that means maybe he wants to rearrange some things in your room. 
Maybe he wants to clear off the shelf of some idols. Maybe he wants to go, hey, there's a closet here that's got some stuff in it that we should probably take a look at and maybe deal with. God wants to play a bigger role in our lives than we can imagine. And sometimes we can want to kind of control it, but that's not what he wants from us. You know, as we enter this journey together and we talk about what it means to be empowered, I just want to invite us to seek God, more of God, through his Holy Spirit. And as we do that, I want to take us, take us into communion. And as we take communion together, I want to invite you, kind of as a way of doing communion, I want to say, I want to invite you to kind of come as you're doing that and say, Lord, I'm willing. I want more of you. I want more of what that means to be empowered. I want more of you through your spirit. I don't want everything to be safe. I want more of your spirit, Lord. And so, as we prepare for communion today, and I just want to remind us that this is the Lord's table. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to come and be a part of this. And if you're not, that's okay. You can take this time to just really spend some time praying and thinking about what it means to know Jesus. And communion is with us because it reminds us that Jesus died for each of us. He sacrificed his body and shed his blood for us. And in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, we read, The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink, drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want to invite the communion servers to come on up.